Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it is good to be back after a week off, even if it's to talk about a confusing opening game to the U.S.'s 2023 Gold Cup campaign. Joe and Goss discussed this one immediately after full-time on Saturday. Uh, I'm now joined by the president of the James Sands Appreciation Society, Graham <laughs> Ruthven, to break it down even further. Graham, did you run unopposed for that position, or was it sort of just given to you? Um, yeah, there weren't many Rangers fans in contention for that position, so I think I kind of just inherited it as maybe the only person in Scotland or Glasgow that has any sort of allegiance to James Sands. <laughs> do you still? Do you still feel some affinity, some allegiance? If not affinity, then allegiance? Um, oh, James Sands is a frustrating player for me. I think at the start I was quite protective of him, uh-huh. and then towards the end he was he was really quite bad for Rangers, and so... I kind of got sucked into the vortex, but uh, pleased to see him doing reasonably well. Yep. Uh, yeah. Is that the right? Is that the right tone of voice to ask that question for so. the uh, for the US and and the opening game? I, I didn't think he was the worst on the pitch. Let's put it that way. I thought he was one of the better players, to be honest. Uh, we'll get into some of those individual performances. Uh, rarely do I end up listing the lineup and the subs and then drawing arrows up, down, or middle, but that is sort of what I ended up doing for this one because I was confused by a few of these performances. Uh, so, Graham, we're going to get into those individuals. We're going to get into what we learned from the team and a little bit about what we learned from Jamaica First, I want to talk to you about how kickoff times are liars. Uh, We've seen this in the U.S. many, many times for a good long while, posting a kickoff time of 9.15 when the kickoff is actually 10. But for you over in Scotland, uh, that seems to be a foreign concept that you are sadly uh, becoming increasingly aware of. Yeah. So in the U.K., the broadcaster here for the Gold Cup, So that's the first thing. I am kind of surprised that all the Gold Cup games are on British TV because as we've covered previously, British TV football offering is is not particularly broad. So I am pleased that I have some way of of watching the matches. However, Viaplay... Is that, Graham, do you think, is that a lack of other options for stuff to watch? Or is that... Okay, it's not not everyone suddenly very interested in CONCACAF. No, I don't think so. I think... So Viaplay are kind of the right scrapers. Like, they will pick Ah. up things that no one else will pick up. (laughs) Um, so I I watched a load of um, I watched a load of Glastonbury over the weekend. Ryan Bailey was at Glastonbury Music Festival in the UK, and the final act on the Sunday was Elton John his final um, his final UK performance, and it was quite a moment. And my wife stayed up to watch it. And then after that, at eleven o'clock, I put on uh, Haiti versus Qatar in the Gold Cup, and Lucy was like, "What is wrong with you?" Like. <laughs> You don't have to watch this. I, but the thing is, I do. I do have to watch it. If there's live soccer on the TV, I have to watch it. So I kind of, I was typing away doing other things. But yes, I was watching Haiti Qatar last night. Yeah, Viaplay haven't quite figured out the whole the whole paradigm with American kickoff times because obviously, obviously a lot of the matches are in the middle of the night for me. So I will record on my Sky Plus box the games to watch the next day. And then I found this morning as I tried to rewatch um, Mexico Honduras that Viaplay's coverage starts when the the advertised time is, and so mm-hmm. I have to skip through like forty minutes of ad break, just solid filler ad break to get to kickoff, and then because it only records the chunk of the game that's advertised, I then don't get the last twenty minutes. So that's ideal. Wow, Graham, so so much new information here, starting with you being a sicko uh, and sitting through. I'm going to assume that 30-minute <laughs> ad break. No, it's probably not. Uh, but then 
that you spent the time watching Haiti Qatar, number 87 in the world versus number 61 in the world. Haiti with the win. Uh, any thoughts on that game or were you just sort of watching because there's soccer on and if Graham isn't watching soccer, then he doesn't know what to do with himself? Uh, yeah, definitely that. But also Qatar bad. Still bad after the World Still Cup. Bad. Not very impressed with uh, Qatar at all. Not really sure how good Haiti are, but uh, at least I didn't watch Trinidad and Tobago versus St. Kitts and, uh, and Nevis. I, I didn't get around to watching that one, although I did see the result. I feel like that's a yet more than a you haven't watched it at all. You haven't watched it yet. I don't even know what the result was in that one. I'm going to assume Trinidad got the win. Yes. 3-0 Trinidad and Tobago. It will, because I've now series linked it, I will actually have that recorded oh, on no. my Skybox. So that's probably coming later tonight. All right. Well, let's talk less about those things, more about the United States for a moment. And and I want to start with a conversation that uh, I'm, I'm going to guess Joe and Goss have already had. We had a little bit when we talked about this roster uh, in general when it was released. But Graham, uh, for you heading into this one, was this a B team? Is this a C team? Like in your generalized understanding of the U.S. prior to this tournament, when you're looking at the names on here, what are your sort of expectations from that, from basically just from that letter grade, from that level of play? So I think it's a little bit of the A team and the fact that Matt Turner mm-hmm. starts and has a good game. Maybe yep. the only player who really has a, a, a very impressive game against Jamaica. I think it's a little bit of the B team and then a little bit of the C team as well. I, I look at players like Jesus Ferreira. He, to, to my mind, is, is part of the B team, particularly with Balogun now um, switching allegiance yep. to the US. He's, he's number one in the depth chart now. And then you have Ferreira behind him and maybe Vasquez as well. Those guys are kind of B team. And then guys like... Um, like Jalen Neal coming on at halftime, that that's very much a C team mm-hmm. squad pick for me, and and that makes it difficult. And to be honest, we really shouldn't have been too surprised with the sort of performance that the US no. put up in this game because the most striking thing to me was there wasn't much chemistry, the balance wasn't quite right. You could see the relationships between players weren't there. You know, Jordan Morris would would burst up the left side and then turn back because he doesn't have the support around him. And that, to me, says that the relationships aren't aren't there. And that, as I say, isn't surprising at all. In fact, it would be surprising. It would be remarkable if those relationships were there. And had the US kind of just picked up where they left off after the Nations League, I would kind of be of a mind that BJ Callaghan is is the greatest American soccer manager of all time. Um, As it turns out, maybe, maybe he's not the greatest American soccer manager of all time. But yeah, not, not not particularly surprising. And I look back at 2021 as well in the Gold Cup and how the US started that tournament. Kind of similar with mm-hmm. a 1-0 win against Haiti, was it, in, in, in the first game? And then you have the pretty disappointing performance against Canada in the group stage as well. So th- it's not guaranteed that the US will find that chemistry. I think that's maybe worth discuss- discussing. But if they are to find their stride and those relationships are to be built it's more likely that that will happen in the knockout rounds with once Calican. I presume with um, Berhalter in the background, maybe pr- <laughs> providing some text messages. And, you know, John Herdman wears the, the AirPod yeah. in one ear. I, I, maybe Calican for the knockout rounds wearing the AirPod with, uh, with Greg on the other side. If it is the AirPod in the ear, do we prefer that he wear the white ones as you are now? Or do we want him to go with that John Herdman flesh-colored one? I find the flesh-colored one off-putting. I'm not going to lie. Wait, I've never noticed this before. Oh, yeah. John Herdman wears flesh-colored AirPods to try and hide it. I I guess. I don't really know. It also seems to match his tan. So I don't know if he has them (laughs) custom-made based on how much he's been in the sun. But yes, it seems to me a flesh-colored AirPod. I don't know if that's... Because the white stands out too much, uh, maybe, maybe it gives away the idea that someone else is coaching 
the team. Maybe it's Jose Mourinho in the locker room in a laundry basket giving him instructions. But I'm all yeah. right with BJ Callahan avoiding uh, the AirPods. I do that's, think that's sort of an extension just to jump in there with, with the flesh colored colored AirPods. That's like a 2023 20, equivalent of what I used to do in high school when yep. I would like listen yes. to music as <laughs> yes. I would feed the cable yep. up my uh, up my shirt and up my jumper and then lean. Yeah, put my yeah. head against my hand and lean and listen to the music that way. That feels like John Herdman's trying to do that. Oh, man, I, I'm glad I'm not alone in that one. My my, my buddy uh, in middle school taught me that one through, I believe, a Walkman. So I'm showing my age here. I am showing my age. Uh, but yes, I think we did see, if not the limits of BJ Callahan, then the reminder that I would say the senior team, that A team, is a little bit more plug and play, even with some notable absences, as we talked about with the Nations League. It is still players that have played together for a good long while that understand more or less the system, and then you can add little wrinkles as you need to. Whereas this team, it felt to me like there wasn't that level of understanding and obviously chemistry as you talked about. And so I think that is where BJ Callahan was required or needed to do more coaching, to do more sort of positional instruction. I think there were some changes in the second half that worked, but that was really the glaring thing for me is how often you could see this team trying to do stuff we saw the U.S. do in the Nations League, and either there was a heavy touch or an overhit cross or just a slower bit of decision-making, a little bit more ponderous on the ball. And I think overall, we just got a slower product from the U.S. I think they rounded into better form by the end and I think deserved to get that equalizer. But I also think Jamaica threw some things at them that they weren't expecting. It did not seem to be a, an intimidated Jamaica team by, by any stretch of the imagination. And so in that way, I think it ends up being more of a positive for me, even if it's an, a fairly unremarkable result to start this campaign. Uh, it's been an unre- unremarkable Jamaica team historically, but with the recruitment of dual nationals, I think they're much, much stronger. And so in that way, I'm not overly concerned about this one i'm not really that concerned i guess if i'm being honest uh we'll see what happens against trinidad i think it seems like first place and second place are going to end up coming down to goal difference so the u.s i'm guessing going to score some goals against st kitts and nevis then it's what they do against trinidad and the same goes for jamaica but yeah graham i think that's my overall kind of takeaway from this one is that the b slash c team obviously not quite at the level of that a team and this was always going to be the, the most challenging group fixture as well. That's that's the other piece of context. Yeah. The Jamaica game is by far the most challenging, at least on the face of it, with um, the other two teams and, and the group that you would expect the US to, to kind of canter or win at a canter um, in, the, in the next week. So certainly not a disaster. As I say, this is kind of what I, what I expected from this group, this team kind of being thrown together. I do think there's still some, we can still a- analyse some failings sure. of, mm-hmm. of this team. I, I thought in particular there was a lot to talk about with, with the midfield and the kind of sure. attacking structure through the midfield. So in possession you had the US shift into a four in the middle with Yedlin um, pushing forward and then it was... a. Uh, so it was a back three in possession and then it was a back four out of possession. Nothing nothing too groundbreaking there. And Joe did a really good job of outlining this in, in the quick take show afterwards. Um, but it felt like Sonora and Zendayas were, were meant to... They were ahead of the double pivot of Sands and Aidan Morris um, to exploit the half spaces. And... With Alan Sonora, I, so I didn't watch this. I didn't watch this match live, right? I watched it back the next morning. Same. But I had seen a lot of criticism on Twitter of Sonora. I read Joe going in hard on him on on backheeled, and for me, it was a bit like when you go to see a movie at the cinema and you read a terrible review of it before you go in, and because your expectations mm-hmm. are rock bottom, 
you kind of enjoy it a little bit more than you than than you thought you would have. Similar sort of vibes with Sonora Sonora in this game because I honestly thought he wasn't that bad. Now that's not me saying that he was outstanding, that he was man of the match or anything like that. He does fluff his lines early on with with that chance, and some of his execution was poor. And I take on board a lot of the gas was kind of highlighting his crossing and his execution. That that wasn't great. So as I say, I'm not saying he was great, but he seemed to be one of the few players. Certainly in the first half, at least, at least attempting to break the lines with, with his passing. There was a good chance for Ferreira at the end of the first half, which comes from Sonora spotting the channel from deep and then feeding the ball in there. There was the Jordan Morris chance right at the end of the first half as well, which is only a, a couple minutes after that, that chance I just mentioned there. And that comes from Sonora fizzing the ball into Ferreira and Ferreira turning it around the corner really cleverly. Ferreira, by the way, I thought actually had a very good game and, and kind of served a reminder of his skill set and what he brings to this to this squad now that Balogun mania has uh, has fully broken out it was good to have that reminder not that I'm saying Ferreira is ahead of Balogun in in the depth chart but yeah uh, Sonora didn't fill me with rage in the way that I expected hmm. to going into the match I mean he did drop out of the game at the start of the second half and obviously he gets switched out fairly early in that second half as well and it wasn't like his sustained was his influence was sustained through the match either but yeah, some of the US's best moments in that first half kind of came through him, so I, I don't really know what to think. That's fair. Uh, I should also add, I have not yet listened to that Joe and Goss review show. I have not read Joe's backyield piece uh, yet. It is open and ready to be read, but I deliberately avoided not even spoilers, but just that coverage because I think I tend to go the other way. That if somebody like Joe really is down on a player, I think I'm going to end up watching that game and only seeing the negative even so, I, I didn't think it was a very good game from Senora. And this is a, a Senora that I drafted when we did our USMNT draft. I thought he could be a really important midfielder for the United States going forward. I still think he can be. But I think we see his limitations and why he is where he is in the depth chart. Because you're right. He has that moment where he he carries the ball forward uh, and then plays it into Ferreira. And it's a good layoff for Morris. It's a good save by Andre Blake. Even there, I feel like I'm I'm more inclined to give credit to John Tolkien for the little disguised looping pass over the top that has Senora then in about 30 yards of space for him to attack. I felt like under pressure, he was just a little bit slower in his decision-making. Now, a big part of that might be because the entire team was slower. And so if Jordan Morris, for example, is late making a run or is maybe five yards behind where uh, Christian Pulisic might be, then you can't really blame Senora for having to wait and just hold that pass a little bit more. But I think overall... So many players in this team, it just felt like we're waiting and waiting and then would try the pass or more often would wait and wait and then cut back and lay it off to the center backs who themselves would lay it off to Matt Turner, who would then lay it to John Tolkien, who would then hoof it up the line. That felt to be a pretty consistent pattern. Uh, so I think there were some stronger performers in this one, but I had Senora as sort of that. If we're going uh, up or down in their stock, he was pretty much neutral. I, I did think his set piece delivery was very good at times and then pretty unremarkable at times failing to clear the first defender yeah. but then also putting it into the mixer uh with some accuracy some good whip some good speed yeah see i would generally agree with that i would have him as a neutral mark as well it's just that old uh that analogy that i was using of like a bad review before going into yeah. a film mm-hmm. I, I was expecting a big fat like downwards arrow and when i watched the game i didn't I didn't really get that, but yeah, still not a great performance. And in 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 general, that midfield unit with with Sands alongside him, even though Sands, in moments like in 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 terms of 
sweeping up and intervening and there was there's a there's a play where Liam Bailey kind of dribbles through and, and tries to create a moment of transition and, and Sands sticks with him and makes the tackle and, and yeah. that's the best of James James Sands when he does that. James Sands though I still find a frustrating player because I want him to take that next step in his development where in possession he offers something a little bit more. So there were times in this match where it seemed like there was an uncertainty as to who was meant to be dropping into the back three. So Aidan Morris did it a couple times, and then Matt Miazga would just completely bypass him and not look to him, and Aidan Morris yeah. would spin back around and go, okay, I thought I thought the idea was maybe I was meant to take the ball and, and spin it forward. Not only does that leave Morris redundant, it then leaves Sands further ahead of him in that moment redundant as well because they're bypassing the two of them. And then there was a couple times as well when it happened to Sands, he would, he would drop in and get bypassed. And so... That's either a communication issue or, or a misunderstanding of what his role is in the team or the the, the US defence, which I thought struggled generally with maybe the exception of John Tolkien, who had a good game, I, I felt, um, they generally struggle to play out from the back. That is that is a mistrust of those two players in their ability to do that. And that's what I want to see from James Sands is I actually think he has the ability to break lines with, with his passing. We saw it for the goal, his ball into Ferreira, which then Ferreira crosses for Vasquez, yep. or for the chance that Vasquez finishes. Um, he starts that move, so he, I think he is capable of it, but quite often he will take the easy option rather than playing the line-breaking pass himself. And in the modern game, it's not enough for you to be the barrier in front of the back four. And I think he's quite good at that role. You need to offer something. If he has any ambitions of breaking into that first-choice A-team US midfield, then that's the area of his game that he needs to develop. And I thought even in this reasonably good performance from him here, we saw that weakness. Yep. I thought he was uh, pretty solid defensively, James Sands. I thought there were moments when he was calm on the ball when other players were not. There's one where Jesus Ferreira, I think this is around the time of the goal for the United States, Ferreira lays one off to him. It's very much a hospital ball. Sands can't get to it, but then he works really hard to win it back, keep possession, dribble out of pressure, pass the ball. As you said, he gets the MLS assist for the U.S.'s goal of sorts, I guess, because it comes off of a, a Jamaican player. But it is a, a, a very quick, I think it's a one-touch pass out wide to Jesus Ferreira that requires then Damari Gray to go sprinting to try to close him down. And that's why Ferreira is able to kind of easily cut past him and play that ball in. When I think the obvious pass is on or the clear pass is on, James Sands is able to do it pretty quickly. We saw that time and time again with the cutting inside and, and pinging a good 40-yard ball across to John Tolkien on the other wing. That felt like a thing that they had practiced and Sands was pretty capable of hitting. But then to your point, when there's a little more pressure, when it's a little bit less clear what to do, I did see the limitations of his passing. I want to talk more about the limitations of the United States in the build in just a second. First, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We are reviewing the USA's one-to-one draw with Jamaica, the opening game of the Gold Cup. I feel like I'm doing a radio thing here where I'm resetting for people who have definitely just stayed with us and are still listening. I don't (laughs) think anybody stepped away for the last 15 minutes and came back in live streaming. Who knows? Uh, But Graham, I think you talked about this a a moment ago in the U.S.'s struggles to build out or inconsistency in the way they tried to build out. And I'm really not sure... Who is at fault here? Maybe it's BJ Callahan for the way he set the team up. Maybe it's Greg Berhalter for the way he set the team up previously. Uh, but I, I saw, to your point, Aiden Morris dropping in on occasion. I saw James Sands trying to do that a couple times. I also saw both Sands and Aiden Morris waving the two center backs forward, especially in the first half, waving Matt Miazga on the ball and Aaron Long on the ball, telling them, carry it forward, take it forward, because Jamaica, I think, were pretty content to sit on that double pivot for the United States and effectively keep them from being involved in possession, which is okay if you're the United States. If those two midfielders are then occupied and can pull away, it opens up pretty large gaps for the center backs to travel into and then play through. And I felt like Miazga and Long were both really hesitant to look for those spaces and carry that ball in. Again, exemplified by I think James Sands being like, carry the ball forward. And then Matt Miazga takes it five yards and then cuts it back to Aaron Long. And it, it did seem to me like the United States was very risk averse in possession. And not that, you know, Chris Richards or Miles Robinson is rolling the dice and going on swashbuckling runs every single time. But it, it, I did feel like we saw the difference in what a center back who is comfortable on the ball and comfortable in possession can do for this U.S. team and the way they want to play versus a, a defender who is maybe less confident or less yeah. uh, trusting in their own passing abilities. There was also inconsistency in terms of where they were funneling their build-out play into into the wide areas. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, Yedlin in possession would be part of kind of the midfield four and there were times when he would he would carry the ball and 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 the US would get up the pitch relatively quickly with through Yedlin but then there would be other times when he wasn't showing himself as that option and then John Tolkien on the other side who I have a, a lot of sympathy with in terms of not maybe offering 
the the sharpest attacking option because he had to play as part of the three in possession and I thought he did that relatively well but then ahead of him your question is well who who's providing the width on that side is that meant to be Alan Sonora's job because he wasn't really doing that especially well particularly in an, in an advanced position so yeah, it just it just felt like the balance of the team, and the, and it it didn't really feel like they knew where everyone else was. And I, I mentioned that Jordan Morris example. That was that was the perfect example where Jordan Morris actually has to turn back and look where players are yep. around him. And that was one of the things that struck me watching this game is is the drop off, not only in terms of individual talent, but under Berhalter and and in the Nations League that finished last week, the US has essentially in the in the matches that matters anyway has essentially used the same team for what two years mm-hmm. now, and from that comes a lot of muscle memory, and maybe we have taken that for for granted, and and this this match kind of made clear that when you don't have that muscle memory, this is what a team looks like when you kind of just throw them together. Why do you think the United States was so limited in the way they wanted to attack? I feel like we've talked about it in bits and pieces, and I think we could probably come to an overall conclusion. My assumption is basically when you have that more defensive double pivot who aren't quite as good on the ball or as good carrying it forward, then it is sort of Senora who is meant to be the link, and I think Jesus Ferreira dropping in. Obviously, we've seen him do that for the U.S., and so you can have sort of two players helping in the build-out, helping in the in terms of getting uh, possession into the final third. But that then requires the, the wingers, Morris and Zendejas, to either stretch the defense or stay wide, boots on the chalk, and give that option. And it felt like Morris did that, but a couple times had a heavy touch. A couple times it was an overhit pass. A couple times, as you said, he had to kind of turn around and be like, what are we doing? Zendejas, I really don't have many notes for at yeah, all. Same. Uh, and, and so it felt to me like the U.S. kept sending uh, numbers into the midfield. So you'd end up having four players sort of central. But Mariapa, the Jamaican defender, sat on Jesus Ferreira, tracked him sort of everywhere. And I don't really think anybody looked to exploit that space that would then be opened up. There were no sort of direct balls in behind or really threatening balls that kept Jamaica honest. So what it meant was that Damien Lowe, the other center back, could then slide over and double team Jordan Morris, who whomever was out on the left for the United States. We saw that time and time again in the first half, there being the sort of 1v1 physical battles that sometimes ended in a corner, sometimes ended in a goal kick or a uh, foul for Jamaica uh, playing out. But there, there wasn't, to me, a, a consistent plan to the attack other than possess the ball, hoof it into the channels and hope something happens, or possess the ball, recycle it back to Matt Turner, to John Tolkien, and then hoof it long again. There, those sort of breakdowns, in my mind, kept happening over and over again. Did, would you agree with that? Did you see anything else that you felt like was limiting the way the U.S. wanted to attack? No, those those breakdowns is, is, are certainly something that I um I spotted because Hez, Hezus Ferreira is as as a a player that I am like kind of moderately obsessed with because I think he makes you look at what other players around him are doing. He's one of these players you have on the team to make others around. You know, he's not a, he's not a twenty goal a, a season striker. Or at least, I know he has been an MLS, but maybe not for the national team. Um, so when you have him as the number nine, you're looking to players like Morris and Zandias. What can they do? What can they do with the space that he is creating? And and as I said earlier, I thought Ferreira had a had a, a pretty good game. The, the way he was he was popping off passes for that Morris chance. His 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 play, his interlinking play, there I thought was 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 very good. He was doing a lot of his Ferreira things, which is what we've come to expect from him for the US. 
but the players around him weren't really doing anything with that space. And and I think a lot of it comes from just the distances that the, the ball was having to be played. So in the second half in particular, I spotted at least three times when Jalen Neal is just launching balls into the channels from deep. And that gives Jamaica time yeah. to to track the flight of the ball, to, you know, get in position, to repel it. I think you want to, the player that it, sh- it should be, making that pass into the channels into the space that Ferreira is creating by dropping deep is is one line forward that should be your central midfielder that should be Sands or or Morris now Aidan Morris I know there are a lot of strong opinions about Aidan Morris out there Joe is certainly has a, he's one of those people that has yeah. a strong opinion of Aidan Morris I don't think he's much of a fan I have to say despite the fact I've watched Columbus a, a few times this season he's not a player that in in that team I've I would say I'm that I have kind of like a thesis on or anything like that. So I don't know whether it is in his skill set, but to me, he seems like quite a safe player who can, is there just to keep possession ticking over. And that is where the balance of that midfield is wrong. Because if you've got Sands as the six, then I think you want essentially a, a deep line playmaker who can play that pass forward in those line breaking passes. Maybe that's the position for Alan Sonora. But the, the stuff that I praised Alan mm-hmm. Sonora for in the first half with those line breaking passes, I wonder if you drop him in alongside Sands. Um, whether that is a better position for him. So, yes, yeah. I agree that the, the, the attacking build-up play was was pretty disjointed and it just felt like the distances they were playing over, it was too, it was too big. It should, it should have been a little bit more compact. I think we can learn some things from the game against uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, but I'm not going to say a 5-0 win means everything's resolved. But I think against Trinidad, I would like to see Senora and Sands together because I was pretty down on Aiden Morris's performance in this one. Uh, I think of him as a player that is going to be safe in possession and then good at helping out on the defensive side of things. He concedes the free kick, I would say somewhat needlessly, that leads to Jamaica's goal. Uh, and then he obviously concedes the penalty, just sort of swinging his foot at a, at a ball. Unfortunate, but still, that's the type of decision that's going to go against you when you have players who are so quick. Uh, We see this time and time again when a defender is just trying to clear the ball or get a foot to it, and they're not really ready for the speed of the attacker or just the run of the attacker. They don't have that awareness. They end up conceding a clumsy penalty, which Morris did in this case. Looking at his numbers for a moment, 5 for 12 in ground duels, so 42%. uh, 0 for 1 in aerial duels. His possession stats, pretty good. I think he's 90-plus percent pass completion. I would argue not a a lot of risk in the way he passed. And so I think even there, that's sort of a negative for me because it was so risk-averse that so often it was, oh, I'm under a bit of pressure. I'm just dumping it back to one of the center backs and then getting out of the way. That's not really inviting the pressure from Jamaica and then passing out of it or turning out of it or just making them do anything that puts them into an uncomfortable position. It felt like the U.S. were very content to sort of just keep the ball and play safe. And when you're doing that, to your point, you end up hoofing it long and you don't make Jamaica really have to think, really have to adjust what they want to do. And it felt like a pretty comfortable first half. Maybe the Jordan Morris uh, opportunity aside, it did not seem like the U.S. were really creating much in any sort of consistent way uh, throughout the first half. Yeah, I agree. I, j- I just don't like the balance of that that midfield double pivot mm-hmm. of Sands and, and Morris. Um, I don't think you can... I don't really think you can play them together and no. as, as, as a pairing. I don't think they complement each other. Both players have their qualities, and while Sands had a slightly better game than, or certainly a better game than, than Aidan Morris, um, I think he's got more in the tank as well if you get the right partner alongside him. 
What were Joe and Gus's thoughts on John Tolkien? Again, I haven't listened to that one yet, but that's a player that I know, Graham, you have been excited about, not just because yeah. of the bleach blonde hair, but also because of what he can do on the pitch. What did they make of him from what you recall? And then what did you make of him? Yeah, so Gas was really high on 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 John John Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Joe thought he had a good game as well, but Gas was particularly high on him, particularly in possession and what he brought on 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 the ball. Um, that's something I always like the energy of John Tolkien, and and he's got you know what's it Twitter people say he's got that dog in him. Yep. Uh, I like that about I, I like that about uh, John Tolkien, expected dog. His his X, <laughs> X, XD is pretty high, um, and I like that quality that he brings to to the US. I've I just because of the way Red Bull play, I've always wanted to see a little bit more on the ball from him. So I was I was pleased that he was he was a key part of how the US was building building play. Now whether that was by design or not, I'm not yeah. so sure because uh, Miazga and who is the other centre back, Aaron Long, Long in the first half, yeah. and then and then Jalen Neal in the second half weren't doing a particularly good job of that and so I kind of wonder if Tolkien absorbs those duties yep. just by default because no one else is, is is doing them but yeah I think I I personally felt I saw uh maybe a different side to his game that I I don't watch every Red Bulls game but I personally hadn't seen that before yep. and and his numbers were not great uh when you look at them just as they are 53 of 76 in passing so 70 percent pass completion three of 13 long balls one for five in ground duels he is a player where i think context is important because so many of the passes he's going for are either risky sort of down the line direct passes or i would say disguised passes into the middle including that little lifted one for senora that we already talked about but then there's crosses into the box. There's overlaps where he's driving it in there and just trying to create something. And I felt like because of how relevant he was to the way the U.S. attacked, and I think he was one of the players on the team, one of the few players on the team for the U.S. that made Jamaica uncomfortable, that made them have to foul and adapt and and sort of track him when they didn't want to or send defenders out to to cover him when they then opened up space. I felt like he was pretty important, and he's a player that I would not mind see seeing more of as we go further in this tournament. Uh, Graham, are there other individuals that you want to talk about before we get to the goals and a little bit more about the team in general, a little bit more about the Gold Cup in general? There aren't really many yep. more individual thoughts that I have. Uh, it was just kind of one of those games we've probably covered all the bases, I think. All right. Uh, then we'll talk about the goals, some other key moments, and we'll talk about uh, the U.S. and where they go from here in just a second. First, one more quick break. Welcome back, Graham. Let's talk Matt Turner, uh, who doesn't do a ton in this game. I thought his distribution was fine. I don't think there were any huge moments, but the penalty save is is pretty impressive. And then I believe the numbers were 10 for 23. Uh, He saved 10 out of 23 penalties faced. That is now 11 out of 24. Wow. Matt Turner. Uh, pretty good uh, with the penalties. And when you watch this one, or if you didn't watch this one, it's Leon Bailey taking it with his left foot. Turner, as the commentators noted, leaves early, knows exactly where this ball is going, makes the save, gets up quickly enough to, I think, put off Leon Bailey that when he goes for uh, the right-footed rebound with his uh, weaker foot, significantly weaker foot, I would say, he hits it to the ground and scuffs it wide. I don't know how much credit Turner deserves for that second one, but a whole big ton of credit for that penalty save yeah he is a monster for a, a penalties and i do wonder how much of that is down to 
you know, actual goalkeeping skill and anticipation, and how much of it is just down to the fact that he is the size of a house, and it is quite difficult to get a ball past him from 12 yards. He, he is a big dude, but yeah, he was one of the big positives from this game. There is just absolutely no doubt at this moment in time that he is number one for the US. I, don't, I think that is... I, I remember when I did my draft after the World Cup, I think maybe I took Turner first just because I thought there was a big drop-off. That was my logic anyway, yep. after Matt Turner. Um, and I still believe that maybe even more so after this game. Yep, and, and then we all took uh, number nines who have now scored in recent windows. Joe obviously had Balogun, I had Pepe. You have uh, Mr. Brandon Vasquez who gets the goal. Before we talk about his goal, let's talk about Jamaica's uh, because I felt like this goal was a pretty good representation of where I am with Matt Miazga. Uh, I don't think there's anybody really on the team, maybe Aiden Morris, but everybody else, I feel like we saw some negatives. We saw why they're here. And then I think the goal of this Gold Cup is to see how they improve, how the chemistry develops, how the individual performances uh, increase or maybe decrease, but also just how the players evolve in this system under BJ Callahan in a competitive environment. And I think I'm not trying to say Matt Miazga should be benched after this one, but I think there are concerns. We already talked about him in possession and his distribution. I think if you're putting Matt Miazga in there, in my mind, we've all seen the the Linez uh, photo of him comparing their height disparity. You're putting him in there to be a physical presence and win aerial challenges. He does that on occasion, uh, he, he won some good ones last night. He also gets called for a few fouls trying to do that. Uh, but four for nine in aerial duels under 50% is not what you want from him. No. And I would say the penalty is partially his fault uh, because it's a long throw from Jamaica. First, it's a long throw from Jamaica that uh, is thrown into Mikel Antonio. He wins that header over Matt Miazga. It goes to Leon Bailey, who kind of miscontrols, dribbles away from goal. The ball gets poked out of bounds by James Sands, and it's another long throw. Again to Mikel Antonio, again with Matt Miazga on his back. Antonio again wins that header and flicks it on, and then there's the chaos that leads to the penalty. But it's Matt Miazga losing a header, an aerial duel, and he and it's front and follow. I think it's Jordan Morris in front of it both times, so he deserves some blame too. But if you're a big towering center back, I expect you to be more competitive in the box for long throws. And then if you're the dominant center back, I definitely expect you not to bite on a pump fake as he does on the free kick and drop five yards and keep the entire Jamaica team on side for that goal. If he doesn't do that, they're all offside. Stu Holden caught that one pretty quickly in the broadcast. I think those sort of areas were of concern to me because in my mind, that's why you have Miazga in this team. Yeah. And the thing about Matt Miazga is generally we've already covered that broad picture stuff these these matches don't have a lot of consequence for the for the US but I think they do have a lot of consequence for some individuals and Matt Miazga is one of those individuals just due to the fact that he wasn't in the the World Cup roster I believe he kicked up a little bit of a fuss about that despite Mm -hmm. the fact I didn't think he was that close to being uh, it wasn't like he was on the bubble or anything I don't I, I don't think we any of us picked him to be in that roster but nonetheless he clearly has a high opinion of himself hmm. he despite the, the fact that MLS is I, at this point I think is a high quality league and, and is improving if you play in MLS you need these international games to prove that you can play at this level and he's been good for Cincy um, for, for a while now but then he doesn't take this opportunity and all the things as you kind of outline there Taylor all the things that you expect of Maz- Matt Miazga, he fails on, that, that's not a good look for him. You know, it's different if he gets smoked for pace or, or he gets left um, in, a, in, a, in a high line and someone, Leon Bailey gets in behind or Damari Gray gets behind, in behind and you think, well, you know, 
It's not really his game. That's not Matt Miazga's game. But all the stuff that he fluffed and whiffed on in this game, that's meant to be his thing. Yep. So that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a bit of a disappointment because I know he's been uh, a very strong performer for FC Cincinnati and, and has had that that sort of chip on the shoulder for a lack of inclusion under Burhalter. But I think didn't really cover himself in glory, didn't cover himself in much glory at all in this game is one that I'm guessing we will continue to see in this tournament. And so I hope that we see more of that physicality, more sort of backing himself to win those duels and those aerial challenges, but then also backing himself to keep the ball at his feet and make some uh, some more incisive or threatening passes. Uh, I don't know what to expect of Aaron Long. Uh, he has a, uh, the head injury coming into this one. His head is uh, well-wrapped and he's out at halftime. That felt like a necessary change. He didn't seem to be offering much in the way of attacking play. I didn't think his defensive uh, game was strong enough to keep him in there. I don't know if Jalen Neal did much more than Aaron Long, but uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Miazga and Neal in a few more games in the group stage. Yeah, I I, I don't want to sound too harsh on Aaron Long, but I, I just don't know what you are proving, what you're learning by having him in that team. Yeah. He's a player that we we already have the data on Aaron Long. We already have performed the eye test on Aaron Long. We know what he is. We know what he isn't. And I don't think he's going to change at this point in his career. So as much as Jalen Neal is a player that I don't know how high his ceiling is as a player, I don't know if he's ever going to be kind of the first first team starter for the US in his position, but he's young enough and we haven't seen much of him. I, I am um, I'm more inclined to let's give him an opportunity mm. rather than someone like Aaron Lowe. Uh, two more things. One, Brandon Vasquez, your uh, favorite number nine, except for Jesus Ferreira. Uh, he get, he gets the goal. One of those where like, I don't think we can take away a ton. It's not like he comes in and dribbles through the defense and makes this happen on his own. Other than to say that it, it's a loose ball. He could have hit it over. He could have gone for power. He does put some power behind it. I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree with the commentators that it was fully placement here, but it's placement. It's power. It's a goal. That's what you want from an impact striker. Yeah. Graham, uh, your thoughts on his performance, uh, limited as it was, but when there's a goal, we got to talk about him. Yeah. I mean, that's what Brandon Vasquez does. That's what he brings to the, to, to the squad. He's not the sort of player to dribble through three defenders. He's not, he's not following Balogun. He's, he's equally not Jesus Ferreira. You know, he's not, popping passes off he's not dropping deep deep he is uh orthodox number nine and this might be a strangely positive take from a from a match the u.s didn't really play all that well in but this performance made me realize that the u.s number nine pool is in a better place than it has been for a while so we obviously got a hint of what Balogun can do in the nation's league and in, the, in that final against uh, canada where he was very impressive he's obviously top of the chart right now Balgan obviously isn't here at the Gold Cup, but I thought Ferreira, as I've said a couple of times, he, he looked really sharp with a, a lot of the Ferreira things that he did from the start. And then Vasquez comes on and he does Brandon Vasquez things by poaching the equaliser, which comes from a Ferreira cross. So if we're looking at Balogun, Ferreira and Vasquez and the profile of those three players, and then I know there's Ricardo Pepe as well. How dare who's, you? Who's, How dare who's you? On the rise. This Pepe erasure will not stand. <laughs> he's, he, he's, his star is on the rise as well. He's, has he... Um, Confirmed his move yet? Move yet? Is that has that happened officially? I don't know. I haven't talked to him today, so I'll follow up with him after <laughs> okay. we record. But yeah, draw, last, draw, last draw heard, a message. Yeah, it was uh, it was in the works. Uh, what PSV, Feyenoord, both pretty yeah. heavily involved. 
I thought I think PSV were the ones that had jumped ahead in the race, but that that's exciting for Ricardo Pepe. But anyway, the 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 number nine pool after so much discussion about that group, I think is in pretty good shape. Not just in terms of the the talent of the individuals, but what each of those individuals bring you, and the fact that that Callahan can bring someone like Brandon Vasquez off the bench in that second half when it's clear that the dynamic of the match has maybe shifted a little bit and the US is having a lot of the ball and Jamaica kind of camped deep and, and quite compact and playing a low defensive block and someone like Brandon Vasquez to finish off a chance in the box is what you want and that's exactly what he did. Uh, I, I checked with Ricardo uh, via Fabrizio Romano, who two days ago, uh, yes, said that he is going to PSV. I don't know if it's been fully announced. I haven't seen him holding the PSV jersey quite yet, but uh, when that happens, I'm sure he'll text me right away. No big deal. <laughs> Do you think Fabrizio Romano just signs off every message with "Here we go"? He's yeah, like, I hope so. Yes, he's like wishing his partner a good night. Okay, good, good night. Love you. Here we go. Like that's uh, what he you, signs off. What do you want to do for, for, for dinner tonight? I feel like Thai food. Here we go. Like, yeah, with a question mark. Like sometimes you have to adjust the punctuation based on the conversation being had. But yes, I hope that's how he he signs off on every message. Uh, I feel like the number nine pool for so long uh, were like the succession kids, the Roy children, where every single time you thought one was sort of like, oh, OK, they're on the right. Oh, no, no, they shot themselves in the foot again. Oh, no, they scuffed an easy chance. Oh, they... They made a fool of themselves on stage. Nope, we're going to keep this rotating. Uh, and I and I do feel like Balogun sort of is the the player that makes them all have to raise their game or fall off completely. I think that's where the succession analogy ends. But Balogun coming in and looking electric and scoring a goal, Ricardo Pepe scoring a goal in response, or like uh, maybe not a response, but at the same time coming into the game and getting one. Now we've got Jesus Ferreira uh, involved, and I think. I was. I think I'm less positive than you, but I, I mm-hmm. felt like we did see the sort of unglamorous stuff that we've seen from Jesus Ferrer, where he is the willing runner, where he will track back 40 yards to return a ball under pressure, turn out of that pressure and play the ball forward, that he will go for the simple layoff, but try to move into the right wing and then create some crossing opportunities. I thought it was a varied performance from him, but not a bad performance. Uh, and then uh, Brandon Vasquez getting the goal. I think the number nine pool is definitely stronger than it has been yeah. uh, more recently. So if we look at those four players in the number nine pool that we've just talked about, Balogun, Ferreira, Vazquez, Pepe, one of them went to the World Cup and played 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I, I don't know what to read into that. It kind of says to me that the, the landscape is, is, has, has shifted, but equally you could take that as not, not a great statement on how Berhalter managed that group at the World Cup. Yeah, and that's where, uh, if we're going back to it for a moment, that would be where I'm okay with the second cycle for Burhalter, provided there is an awareness of the shortcomings and limitations of what he has achieved so far with this team and what he has done with this team, and then a willingness to evolve his style and his approach to better suit the options he has. Because if you continue to struggle to create chances and have an identified threat in that number nine, especially with the talent now available and some of the developments we've seen this season. I, I think that is a pretty strong black mark uh, on, on Greg Berhalter's time in charge. So that would be my hope for this team uh, going forward. But in the short term, uh, we've got the game against St. Kitts and Nevis. Then there's the game against Trinidad. Looking at that Trinidad game, Graham, based on everything we've talked about so far, uh, what would you like to see from the U.S. lineup in that one? I'm going to assume Matt Turner still in goal. I'm going to assume John Tolkien still as your left back. 
I don't know about DeAndre Edlin. I didn't think he was he was great, especially in the attacking play. I thought he had a good game on the defensive side with some good recoveries and some good uh, willingness to run and do different things. You talked about him being a right back, but also a central midfielder. He finishes the game as the left back. So a varied performance from him. Do you want DeAndre Edlin starting against Trinidad? Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me let me let me rephrase that because I think you're right. There are a lot of like, yeah, okay. Are there any other like specific things you want to see? For example, we talked yeah. about Sands and Senora as your double pivot and see how that goes. Yeah. So I want I want that pairing broken up. To be honest, I I don't ever really want to see that pairing again for the US yeah. and 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 central midfield. So if that means dropping um Senora into central midfield alongside Sands and then maybe bringing in Georgi Mihalovic in a, in a more advanced position ahead of those two I would I would be in favor of that in general I think I just want to see a bit more thrust from the US through mm-hmm. through midfield so that could be Mihalovic could could bring that I think Cade Cowell as well as a player that would 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 bring that I saw your uh, message Taylor in the Discord mm-hmm. comparing Cade Kyle to Keith from yeah. uh, Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. You might have just ruined Cade Kyle for me forever. <laughs> I, I now can't, can't unsee that. Why? Keith is the best. He's, he's one of my favorite characters. Is, I love Keith so much. I love Keith as well, but is he, is he who you want on the left wing for, uh, for the US men's national team? A know. loyal and faithful friend who will uh, try to perform Herculean feats of strength to make something happen? <laughs> yeah, why not? I, I can't okay, tell if it's the enough. mullet or the like under chin beard growth. Uh, I forget who it was yeah. on, on the Discord saying that like if he if he pulls off uh, his jersey after scoring Cade Cowell to reveal a series of questionable tattoos, uh, we, we might have to have a different conversation, <laughs> Graham. But yes, for now, Cade Keith Cowell uh, is somebody I want to see uh, more of. Would you like to see something like uh, Cowell on the left, Zendejas on the right, Senora and Sands together in midfield, and then almost a like front two of Vasquez and Ferreira, but with Ferreira doing what he does and dropping in and facilitating attacking play, Brandon Vasquez maybe stretching that defense. Would that be a wrinkle that you would enjoy? Or what would you like to see the U.S. do in terms of creating uh, more consistent, threatening opportunities in front of goal? Well, the thing is, with the, and I hope I'm not being ignorant or, or disparaging here, but kind of with the, the, the caliber of opposition the U.S. is mm-hmm. going to be facing in this second game, it does give you a little bit more freedom to be yep. slightly more maybe not be so concerned with the structure and maybe bring in individuals that you think can create something through the, through their talent. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against seeing Vasquez and Ferreira as, as a, as, as a front two. I do then have questions of, what is it that Joe calls it? The horseshoe of sadness. Yes. uh, Yes. Starting to appear in the attacking midfield position because Either Senora has been pushed forward into the position that both of us thought he didn't really suit against Jamaica. That's happening again. Or there's just the horseshoe of sadness. I mean, maybe Zendayas can can push in there and create space for Yedlin on the on the kind of overlap to keep the width on the right side. I don't know. Maybe that is something that could could work. But in in theory, if if we can sort out the attacking midfield structure, yes, I, I wouldn't be against Vasquez and Ferrer starting as a pairing. 
All right. We'll see what continues to happen with the U.S. in this tournament. Uh, We would hope they get out of the group stage. If not, we will definitely be talking about it. I don't know how much detail we're going to go into on that St. Kitts and uh, Nevis game, Nevis game. Uh, Unless the U.S. loses, I'm guessing we'll talk about it uh, a good amount. Uh, But if they get the win, maybe we'll spend some time on it. I do want to spend a little bit of time, Graham, on Jamaica for a moment. uh, Because this is a Jamaica team that have underperformed for a long while. A lot of that, in my mind, has to do with the shortcomings of the Jamaican FA. Uh, I often pointed out, you can find it online. Uh, Damian Lowe, a few years ago, negotiating with the Jamaican FA about payments and bonuses and the lack thereof. It, it's pretty revealing about how things have been working in Jamaica or not working uh, and the work that has been done to try to make things more palatable for players. Uh, and I think that has been to their detriment in terms of the recruitment of dual nationals. I have to believe if you are considering uh, switching and playing for Jamaica, I think a lot of these players aren't going to get maybe the England call ups. But at the same time, you're still choosing to go play for an FA that might not be. Uh, willing to pay you on time or when you need to be paid on time uh, and and then even to sort of be forthcoming in the way they're operating. So that aside, I think it's the Jamaica team that are really promising and very exciting. It's probably the most exciting Jamaica team I can yeah. remember in quite some time, uh, which maybe is why I'm also more positive about this one. Because first of all, I was shocked uh, in the in the beginning that this was the first meeting in the group stage between the U.S. and Jamaica in 30 years. I really wow. did think that happened every other Gold Cup. I feel like because there's <laughs> such a regular opponent in the knockout rounds and then in friendlies before the Gold Cup, uh, it feels like we play Jamaica all the time. But that attack, like the attacking talent there, Damari Gray, Leon Bailey, uh, Mikel Antonio, but even like Shamar Nicholson has been a very good player for Jamaica. Corey Burke has been a very good MLS striker. And, and so there's a ton of talent there that the United States was able to more or less handle that attack. Uh, Bobby De Cordova Reed, uh, excellent for Fulham. Uh, he, he also starts this game. I think where we see the drawbacks for Jamaica are in the playmaking positions. I did not feel like there was much in the way of uh, facilitation of the attack from the midfield, uh, which had, what, uh, Lambert and then uh, Lati Boudier? Uh, forgive me, I cannot pronounce his name <laughs> uh, or have not heard it before. I'm glad you tackled that before I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I apologize to Joel. We'll say that one. But he's a defender for Swansea. He's a center back and a right back who starts this game uh, at central midfield. Uh, Kevon Lambert playing for Phoenix Rising. When you look at the talent elsewhere for Jamaica and then you look at that midfield, it's not of the same caliber. And maybe that's where those players will continue to develop. Maybe that's where more dual nationals will come in. But it did feel to me like that was the major shortcoming for them in the way they wanted to attack or consistently attack in this game. Yeah, when I saw that lineup before the game, you got a sense this was going to be a real test for the US and, and all those players that you mentioned there, Taylor, the attacking players in particular, they had their moments in this game. I mean, Michael Antonio, I thought, was relatively quiet, but you highlighted his his ongoing duels and battles with Matt Miazga and how he continued to win those and how he plays a, a part in the winning of the penalty. So he contributed, even if his influence on the game wasn't really sustained. I thought De Cordova Reed gave Tolkien, even though Tolkien dealt with him relatively well, there were a couple of moments when Tolkien was on the edge and, and he, that was a challenge for him. I thought Bailey carried a threat throughout, a ma- throughout the match. His double meg. Mar- oh, the double meg. Uh, yeah. when, he, when he gets Aiden Morris and, I believe, DeAndre Yedlin uh, one and then two in quick succession, that was pretty filthy from Leon Bailey. 
Indeed. That's that's like a Leon Bailey thing. That's why yeah. you watch Leon Bailey is yep. for, for those sort of uh those sort of moments. But yeah, he carried a threat, um, both in terms of attacking play and nutmeg threat, as you highlight there. Damari Gray making his certainly competitive debut for Jamaica. Was this his first game yep. entirely? This mm-hmm. is his first appearance for Jamaica after kind of switching uh international allegiance. He puts in the cross for for the goal. Um, and he continually was a challenge for for DeAndre DeAndre Yedlin as, as as well. I'd say Gray and Bailey in particular could have done more damage. So in the sense, the US did a reasonable job defensively. Um, but as I say, there were some moments on 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 the edge. And I agree with you, Taylor. The where this 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 team this squad falls down for Jamaica is in their inability to impose themselves for the full 90 minutes yeah. on a game and, and, and control a game. So I know Jamaica are putting a lot of effort into recruiting dual nationals right now. If they could find a dual national Tony Cross or Pedri yeah. to recruit, then that would help them a lot. We should see if Tony Cruz is eligible for Jamaica. I think uh, big news if so. Uh, but <laughs> un- until then, I still think this is a Jamaica team that will certainly make it out of the group. Uh, I think that this is a Jamaica team that could make uh, a good little run in this Gold Cup. Uh, We shall see what happens. But I I found them really fun to watch, especially on the attacking side. And in some of the gamesmanship, there was some good craftiness, a little bit of the dark arts here. Andre Blake getting himself a yellow for time wasting. Exactly. Exactly. This got spicy in moments. I think it stayed mostly at a simmer uh, this game. Uh, But yeah, I, I felt... Like, this was a positive sign for Jamaica, which I think is a positive sign for CONCACAF. That's the point of the Nations League. That's theoretically the point of the Gold Cup is to raise the level of talent across the board. I like a strong Jamaica team, and I want to see them continue to to compete and, and cause problems because I think a better CONCACAF also makes for a better USMNT. I didn't realize until... Two weeks ago, when we started looking ahead to the Gold Cup, that Heimer uh, Halgrimson yeah, is the Jamaica manager, appointed late last year. Obviously, Jamaica haven't had any uh, competitive matches in that time. He is the, for anyone who doesn't know who that is, that is the former Iceland manager who led them to the Euros in 2016 and 2018. The dentist, famously, the, mm-hmm. the head coach who moon, moonlighted as, as, as a dentist, he is now in charge of Jamaica, which is fun. Yeah, bold of U.S. fans to go with the Icelandic, uh, like the clap as well that increases in speed (laughs) as they go. I I feel like that was a thing that originated in my mind with that Iceland team. So if you're Hagrimson sitting there, you have to be thinking like, really? You you think you guys can pull that one off? Uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure it works if you're not uh, of proper Viking origin. Uh, Graham, we've talked about Jamaica. We've talked about the U.S. Um, Before we call this one reviewed, uh, any other Gold Cup uh, matches you have watched or want to discuss? I know that you had a tight 20 on uh, Qatar and Haiti, but maybe we don't need to go fully into that one. We probably should spend a little time on Mexico if that works for you. Yeah, so I watched some of the Mexico match this morning. I uh, didn't get to watch the last 20 minutes, thanks to of the kickoff time. So um, I feel like I got a good impression of how you, they played in those 70 minutes, though. Did you get the Chavez goal? Uh, did that, I, that was the fourth one. Maybe not. Oh, you were so the, close. That was the 64th, so no, I, I was did. wondering Sorry, where Sorry, I, okay. I did get the Chavez goal. Yeah, I was getting confused with the Pineda goal, which was a very, very nice goal, and then the Chavez goal. I think that was one of the last things that I saw, and then and then it, uh, it cut off, which was great. Oh, good. So so maybe that, that was just, instead of it being the programming uh, confusion, maybe this one was just straight up them being like, ah, it's 4-0. Yeah, we know yeah, it's yeah, over. We're good. Enough. We're good. They've won. Points in the bag. Yeah. I thought Mexico were actually pretty impressive in this game, and... and Within 30 seconds of the kickoff, 
they had moved the ball from front to back and then created a transition moment in behind for Antuna and then he made the he played the cross into the middle and then 20 seconds later they had scored from another moment where they had got in in behind and I thought this is definitely different to what we saw from them in the Nations League last week and obviously um, Lozano, Jaime Lozano who is the the interim head coach after uh, Diego Coca was was sacked after the, the Nations League he won't have had any time to implement any kind of intricate tra- yeah, tactical ideas but I think he's been in point from what I've read he's been appointed on an interim basis to free up Mexico and just get them playing with more freedom and we saw that in this match now I should say Honduras were dreadful I can't think of an area of the game where they were good in, in possession they were just going direct which made it so easy for Mexico to outnumber them in, the, in, in their attacks and then out of possession as well they were they were a mess as well but I think a factor in that was how quickly Mexico were moving the ball and compared to what we saw in the Nations League it was far fewer touches of the ball they were going a little bit more direct the wide players were driving at opposition defenders Pineda looked dangerous and was getting service and was getting put into high value areas and the third goal by him is an absolute beauty and it's so quick and direct and we just haven't seen that level of attacking from Mexico for a long time and and Luis Luis Chavez who you mentioned uh, Taylor for the, who scored the fourth goal in central midfield he just kept the foot on the on the throw and and the press was very high from the midfield in the attack as well and very effective so I actually really enjoyed watching Mexico in in, in this game which is a stark contrast to the very rigid and, and insipid style of Diego Coca and when you consider that Mexico have a largely first choice roster at this at this tournament it does kind of make you wonder if actually they're going to be the team yeah. that kind of blows everyone away. Maybe they are the favorites, actually. I, I think they, they should be. I think with, with the talent they have, with the capabilities of that squad, if they're able to play together, that's always the big if with Mexico. But I would definitely have them as the tournament favorites. Uh, grand final question. There is not a ton happening in the world of football today. You could watch some Bolivian Primera Division. You could watch Brazilian Serie uh, C. There's some club friendlies. But you also do have El Salvador Martinique at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, then Costa Rica Panama at 8.30 Eastern, which is, I believe, 1.30 or so for you. So I, I doubt you're going to be watching that live. But uh, if you had to choose between those two to watch maybe on replay tomorrow morning, is it El Salvador Martinique or Costa Rica Panama? Oh, definitely Costa Rica, uh, Panama, just oh, because yeah? those those two teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I felt like that was a leading question. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little <laughs> um, bit. Yeah, Costa Rica, Panama. I don't really have many uh, plans to record El Salvador, Martinique. I say that, but I probably will. See, here end it up is. Doing That's that. it. it. Like your wife is going to walk in tonight to you, sort of shamefully watching El Salvador, Martinique, <laughs> uh, the way other people will shamefully watch other programming. Graham, and she's just going to be like, "What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, man?" Uh, but no, I get it. Graham has the vested interest in the Gold Cup. Graham is our exactly. our new uh, Gold Cup aficionado. Uh, and I really appreciate you talking about the USA's one-to-one draw with Jamaica. Uh, Graham, it's good It's good to chat with you again. I, I don't like being away for a week. Even if vacation was lovely, it's nice to be back, uh, albeit to talk about a sort of meh performance from the U.S. <laughs> in their opener. Yeah, that that pretty much sums up my uh, my feelings on, on, on the match. But there are some games to look forward to heading into the knockout rounds i did kind of plot out my bracket earlier today and if the u.s get into kind of a goal difference battle with jamaica to finish top of this group then maybe canada in the quarterfinals which by the way we should mention canada under under a bit of pressure at the moment john herdman facing 
questions over his management at the moment. And I think we sometimes are guilty because we, you know, we support the US. Um, we're sometimes guilty of forgetting that the 26 World Cup is also Canada and Mexico's World Cup. And so when we talk about the pressure that's on US soccer to find the right man to lead the, the USMNT into that tournament, Canada have the same thing with John, John Herdman. And I think it's a relatively similar discussion where he's brought together a group of players. They enjoy being in that program. A lot of them are young players. The building blocks are in place. But now the question is, could Canada potentially get a higher caliber person in place for the 2026 mm. World Cup to help them take make that next step? So that is everything I've read. Joshua Cloak, who writes about Canadian soccer for The Athletic, he's he's written a couple of interesting pieces on this. So I, I do think there's quite a bit on the line for Canada at this Gold Cup, and particularly that will be the case if they end up facing the US in the, uh, in the quarterfinals. Uh, well, Graham, uh, we're going to start the rumors that Steve Clark is going to leave Scotland to take over Canada. I How do would not you feel enjoy about that. that. I did no, not I think you that. would. <laughs> I did not think you would. Uh, yeah, and we've got Canada opening their Gold Cup campaign tomorrow evening, Tuesday night uh, at 7 p.m. against Guadeloupe. Also in their group would be Guatemala and Cuba. I'm going to say Canada will top that group or should pretty comfortably. Who knows, though? It's always the Gold Cup. It's always interesting. Uh, Graham Ruthven, thank you, my friend, for taking over an hour to talk about this one and some other things as well. But we've got listener questions this week. I look forward to answering those with you. Uh, we've got the big thing. Plenty of other content still to come. Graham, it's going to be a busy week, as always. Indeed. Thank you, Taylor Rotwell. Listeners, thanks so much for listening to two different reviews of the USA's one-to-one draw with Jamaica. Hopefully, they were equally informative and fun, uh, even if ours featured less David Goss screaming. Uh, Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon.